We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Mile High Huddle Podcast with your football priests, Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Remember, Broncos country is not a geographic location. It's a state of being. Welcome in, everybody. It is the Mile High Huddle Podcast. This is the Aftermath episode. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, my fellow football priest, you know him, you love him, Zach Kelberman. Zach, it is the aftermath, but since for the first time in a long time, our Listeners didn't get you and I on a game gut reaction. Let's share with them how we're feeling about things. What was your gut to uh, the Broncos getting eviscerated by the Lions? I don't think I can add anything that anyone hasn't already said about the game. The Broncos got physically dominated on both sides of the ball for pretty much 60 minutes. And speaking to the Broncos defense specifically, we'll get to the offense over the course of the podcast, but Chad, I have not seen the defense that systematically picked apart since week three against Miami. It's whatever goodwill VJ built up, whatever strides they were making prior to that game. Boy, did Ben Johnson, Jared Goff, Jameer Gibbs, and the rest of that Lions offense take advantage. It was men versus boys uh, for 60 minutes, and I got to add Sean Payton in that as well. The play calling was suspect, and we'll get into the Russ sideline fiasco, but he should be yelling at himself for a lot of how the game went yesterday, Chad. You know, I want to echo something that Vic Lombardi of Altitude TV and, of course, legendary media guy in Denver tweeted last night, Zach, and that is one of these times I'd like to see Russell Wilson push back. You know, I'd like to see him clap back when he is unceremoniously getting dog cussed on the sideline, whether it's by a teammate or a coach. Um, I just want to see it because it not only would – I mean, really, it shows that he – has the pride, yes, okay, but that he cares. And we already know he cares. But that whole neutral mindset thing sometimes, I think, makes people, creates the impression, Zach, that he's a little bit of a, a sucker, that he's a little bit of a, a easy mark, so to speak. And so just once, I'd like to see him tamp back. But, you know, this was one of those games, Zach, where, you know, we talk about turning points and that fumble even though it took another couple of possessions for the Lions to get going, I mean, at least I'll give the Broncos defense that. Like, they hang, they hung tough early, forced whatever it was, three or four consecutive punts. But that 
strip sack fumble, that was a turning point because not only were the Broncos on the move on opening possession number one, but like it just swung any and all momentum Detroit's way. And they were just in a position as a team, Detroit, to capitalize on that and not let it go. I mean, they just rode that freaking momentum like a bucking Bronco, so to speak, pardon the pun, uh, till the end. So it's just another one of those examples of we understand the fundamentals. We understand the core principles of how you win football games. One of them is protect the football. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Detroit. This wasn't a fluky win on their part. I, they earned it, uh, definitely earned that victory. But they were the better football team. They outclassed the Broncos in every division of the game. And yeah, and we, we were talking about Denver as a football team, Chad, because they've been getting by on creating turnovers and capitalizing off of that. But I've been positing for weeks now, what is it going to look like when this team does not get a turnover and they're kind of forced to live or die on their own volition? And it didn't look good yesterday. Yeah, Russell Wilson didn't play well. The offense wasn't good. It was a total team effort. For anyone looking to blame one side or the other, that's not what I'm going to do. It's not what I took out of it, Chad. It seemed like they didn't even get off the bus yesterday in Detroit. It was uh, JV and varsity, and it's pretty discouraging to see. The Papa Bear, David McElrath, Merry Christmas. Right back at you, my friend. We're getting close. We're getting close. So what is it, tomorrow? One week away tomorrow. So Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Miguel, my friend, so good to see you tonight. <clears throat> Pardon me. Thank you for the super big dog. He says, what's up, fellas? Rough games yesterday. I felt like Russ was the only one really putting out effort and Sean Payton going off on him was not warranted. I think Payton needs to have a long look in the mirror. Thoughts? Zach, I just got done writing about this, so I kind of have my thoughts a little bit more collected, so I'm going to let you start. Well, Miguel, I, I, it's kind of the first um, the first comments I made tonight. My gut reaction was Sean Payton should be yelling at himself for a lot of how the game went yesterday, so I tend to agree with what you're saying. I don't know if Russ was the only one putting an effort. I mean, players were trying out there, but they it was just a, uh unfair contest because the Lions just wanted it more. They were prepared more. Uh, they were just better. They were a better football team. But I don't know, Chad. I mean, again, I guess we'll get into it now. The anger that Sean Payton had on the sideline with Russ was directed at that sequence near the goal line. I mean, taking even aside the fact that the referees, I don't care what anybody says. You can call me a conspiracy theorist, a homer, yada, yada. The NFL officiating crews do not like Sean Payton. Whether it's Bounty Gate, Kareem Jackson, I do not know, but that was ridiculous calling Quinn Miners for offensive offside. But the Russell Wilson blow up was a lot of anger because of how it went. He was taking on his frustration, but also I don't think Russ he he hiked the ball too quickly and it, it didn't go as Sean perfectly wanted it to go. But that being said, you can take away three or four different other parts of the game that were solely on Sean Payton, where he had no one else to blame except for himself. So Miguel, I echo what you're saying there. I don't know, man. Like on one hand, first of all, I could not care less that Sean Payton was uh, a little terse and kind of cranky at the podium after the game. That doesn't bother me at all, especially in the face of the magnitude of that loss. And it wasn't Zach, just the fact that it was a 42 17 beat down on the road but it was to one of his former pupils, right, that adds some insult to the injury. <clears throat> Plus just kind of the how of it, you know. It was just brutally yeah. ugly and uh, embarrassing in many ways. It kind of harkened back to some of the worst moments of that first quarter of the season. But specifically to him berating Russ on the sideline, we don't know exactly what was said. He tried to make it sound like at the podium 
and albeit very ham-fistedly, all right? No, I wasn't upset at Russ. I was upset at the call. What call? The, they wiped the Michael Burton touchdown off the off the board on that the call on Quinn Miners, which if you look on, at it uh, on review, it's pretty clear that was BS, and it makes you kind of go, wait a minute, maybe we should at these competition committee meetings uh, assert perhaps that some penalties should be reviewable, et cetera, but – you know, he was upset, and I think, Zach, that he felt pretty good about getting in, which is once – once because you got to remember, first down, Broncos get down there on the second possession of the third quarter. First down, it's a uh, – first and goal from the ninth. First down, it's an incomplete pass to Cortland Sutton. Second down, he hits Jaleel McLaughlin, and it looks like he scored, right? It looks like he scored over the middle. But as Sean Payton has talked about often at the podium, not just last night, but just generally speaking – challenging spot of the ball is a tricky business all right but he decided hey i've got two more bites at the apple i'm not going to challenge the jaleel one all right cool javante williams that could have been challenged as well he decides eh, i'm not going to do it we don't know exactly why i mean the people on the broadcast crew zach for what it's worth they were saying well maybe it's because you can't quite get a good look at exactly where the ball was from the angles uh, when his knee touches the ground. To me, it looked like he scored. It looked to me like Jaleel scored, all right? Even trying to under, you know, keep in mind that I've got the orange-colored glasses. To me, it looked like they scored. Then, no, 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 we're going for it. I mean, we're down th uh, three touchdowns. We're going for it anyway on fourth down. And for that to happen, he blows a, a gasket. I think there was something more that Peyton viewed as Russ being at fault for something that happened on that final four-play sequence, whether it was a bad read on first down, you know, that incomplete pass to Sutton, maybe that throw over the middle to Jalil. I haven't watched the the coach's film yet. I don't think it's out, but maybe there was someone else wide open that Peyton would have rather him seen and hit in the concept that would have negated all that drama. I don't know. It wasn't a good look, unfortunately. It, may, it did, Zach, make Sean Peyton look petty, made him look like a little bit of a tyrant and a dictator, and he is getting lambasted. And as well, he should, because he had the opportunity, you laid it out perfectly, to challenge some of those calls. I mean, the, the challenge flag is in his sock, his pocket, whatever. It's not on Russell Wilson. It's on him. And if anything, Chad, even if you don't win the challenge, slow the game down a little bit. Give your offense a chance to take a breather, regroup, and, and have uh, more of a, a settled approach going into the next play. But I'm guilty of this, and maybe Sean Payton's the same way. If you're ever really frustrated with yourself, so much so that you kind of take it out on the nearest person to you, and maybe, you know, something you said, Chad, you want Russ to push back a little bit. Maybe he did that knowing that Russ won't push back. Maybe because Russ is one of the few players on the team he knows would keep his mouth shut. Imagine Sean Payton going off on Jerry Judy like that. He knows that maybe Judy wouldn't take it the same. So I think... There's equal parts. Maybe the play was rushed too soon. Maybe it was on Russell Wilson, but I think Sean Payton was really mad at himself for how that sequence went. And unfortunately, Russell Wilson was the closest one in earshot to get some of that wrath. That's a good way of putting it, by the way. Um, look, I, anyone who knows me, and you, most of you who've been listening for years and years, you probably get this. I'm not an anger case, all right? But like when my kids get hurt, you know, maybe they were jumping on the bed and they bonked their head and they get hurt. My first impulse is to be angry, not necessarily at them, but just angry that they did something that got them hurt. Not because it's like I told you so, but rather I'm mad that they're hurt because I'm scared. It terrifies me. Even when it's nothing, there's that brief moment of I'm scared. So now I'm mad and blah, 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 like this. Right. And it could and you lash out a little bit 
depending on what it is, I can understand how Sean Payton would have been piping hot and just looking for a target, which is why I think there's some truth to that, Zach. But I also think there must have been something in that sequence that, that he and Russ just simply didn't share a brain on. Patriot Tex, thank you for your patience, big dog. Uh, appreciate the super. He says, off. I'm off the Russ ba uh, bandwagon since Miami. He does not play good enough to elevate this team. George Payton needs to go because he's left this roster deficient in the front seven. Um, in the front seven of the F. I'm not sure of the F. But, uh, yeah, the, the front seven has been a question mark all season long. Like, we knew that uh, it's kind of like a catch-22, Zach, because we know that Alex Singleton and Josie Jewell, they're solid as far as being run-fitting linebackers, especially with Singleton and, and Jewell being kind of that big brain leader guy. But how much does that serve you, Zach, when the front four or your front three, et cetera, in the three, four is as uh, just porous and lacking depth, lacking just bona fide talent as it is? I saw a tweet and I, for, I forget who it was. Forgive me. It might have been Nick Kendall. It might have been Eric. I don't recall exactly. But someone was like, hey, you know, looking at 2024, other than Zach Allen, you basically need to start over on the defensive line. Like he's the only guy that's really showing he's worth his salt this season. And so how ironic is that? You have two linebackers who suck in coverage. Their ace uh, skill set is they stop the run. But when their D-line guys aren't doing their job, it nullifies what, you know, they're able to do. And frankly, Zach, it's starting to show that they're a little bit uh, exposed even in, as run defending linebackers, yes. but um, the Russ bandwagon thing to each their own. You know, I I just wonder Patriot Tech, and I'm not saying this, and I'm serving right back, Zach. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this to try and put you on the spot or or clown or dunk on you or anything. But were you saying this when the Broncos were winning five games in a row? I'm genuinely asking because I can't keep it straight. Everything that gets said in the chat. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Patriot, you're entitled to your stance on Russell Wilson. He's the most divisive figure in Broncos country, so I'm not surprised that many people are taking kind of radical approaches. We'll see how the rest of the year shakes out, but I do agree with what you're saying. The front seven, when the Broncos are bad on defense, yesterday's game, week three, two examples, uh, the front seven has been exposed. Jonathan Harris has been no better than Deshaun Williams was last season, Chad, and Deshaun was uh, the, the blight of that front seven. But here's the conversation we're not ready for still is that the Broncos desperately need more impact from their off-ball linebacking crew. Because you talked about them not performing because their defensive line is getting owned. I can't even count how many missed tackles Josie Jewell had against the Lions. I mean, it was every time I looked up and it was 47 out there, he was blowing a tackle. And that's been contagious it's going back to the preseason. That's been a Vance Joseph issue. It's an effort issue. It's a coaching issue, technique issue. But they need – and. How many times have y'all heard me for the last seven years say this? The Broncos need more dynamic play from their inside linebackers. You don't need Patrick Willis in his prime, but someone that can just make a tackle consistently and maybe even do so in the backfield. Alex Singleton is great. I think it's Zach By or Brandon Stokely. One of them, Chad, said that Alex Singleton is the best linebacker five yards past the line of scrimmage. And it's so true when it comes to him because the front four partly is not getting enough push on the LOS uh, for what it's worth. Uh, Alex Singleton is ranks third in the NFL in missed, <clears throat> pardon me, missed tackles. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Jewel. I'm trying to find a game by game missed tackles, but um, 
cumulative on the season. Yeah, those of you going, man, it seems like Singleton's always missing tackles. He's stacking tackles, but he's also missing a lot. Uh, guys, lots more to get to, obviously, but we got to just take a quick second to remind you to make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. It was certainly a big part of our game day at my place yesterday as the Broncos got decimated and embarrassed by the Lions. And we make it a part of our our work week, our school week here with the, the Jensen family. Uh, it's delicious, first of all. Options aplenty. And uh, it's it's affordable. It's it's makes sense for a, a working family that's busy. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoff plus all day Sunday and get ready for some football and fun. You choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or you get to pick the toppings you crave. And either way, Zach, you win. You are absolutely right, Chad, about having so many options. I mean, I'm a traditionalist cheese pizza fan, but I do really enjoy the pepperoni uh, toppings at Little Caesars. I love their crazy bread. I've been mentioning that, but pretty much everything they offer, whether it's a stuffed crust, pan crust, thin crust, Hawaiian, if you're into that, Little Caesars is the way to go. You're always winning there. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Let's get back to the chat, see what's on everybody's mind. Naj in the house. What's going on, big dog? So good to see you tonight. Sad that we missed you last night, but hey. Uh, he says, hey, brothers, rough weekend all around. Playoffs seem very unlikely, but a winning season and taking down the Raiders can be done. Most frustrating to me uh, about this game was Sean Payton losing composure. Uh, his protege embarrassed him, Dan Campbell, yes, indeed. And just to kind of uh, put what Naj is saying here into context, you know, Eric Trickle, Zach, wrote an article that was timely uh, Right before, you know, I think it was published Friday, which was basically a look at 
week 15 and all the different games, Broncos country's rooting interest, etc. I know a lot of you read that article, but in case you didn't, obviously the games that mattered most to the Broncos besides their own was Steelers Colts. Colts won that one. Uh, it was Browns Bears. Browns won that one. So, I mean, it did help the Colts Steelers that one of those teams who was in the running competing with the Broncos lost, but still it would have been better that the Colts had lost. Uh, so Browns beat the Bears, unfortunately. Pretty then you look, it, indeed. Uh, then you look at that the, the AFC South, and it came down to the wire today. Overtime, Texans emerge victorious. Freaking Case Keenum. Indeed. Uh, 1916, and then I'm missing one. Uh, uh, the Bills beat the Cowboys handily. So uh, I might actually even be missing one more. So really, nothing went right for the Broncos relative to their playoff. Oh, and the Bengals beat the Vikings relative to their playoff hopes. Now, that doesn't slam the door shut, Zach. It doesn't completely put a, a, a kibosh on, on the postseason for the Broncos. But, and there is an argument, Trickle brought this up, that uh, even though it would have been good to beat the Lions relative to a shot at the AFC West because the Chiefs had lost to them as a common opponent, that would have been nice. But of the four remaining games, if you're going to lose one, that would have been the one to, to lose because it was non-conference. But look at this. The next three games are all lackluster opponents, and they're all fielding backup quarterbacks. So there is that. They lost to the Broncos, a modicum of control over their destiny, but it ain't over yet. Playoffs, playoffs it's a weird thing. No, it's not over, but they lost a lot of control over their own destiny. If they would have beaten the Lions, they could have had, you know, sub 70% chance of making the postseason. Now it's in the 20s. And if the uh, Jaguars beat the Ravens tonight on Sunday Night Football, it's going to be in the teens. Um, it, it was a game the Broncos really had to have because it was the, the almost the same scenario as the Houston game. It was a, a really surging Broncos squad versus one of the better teams in the NFL to the point where Denver can really put their stamp on the league and say, hey, we've arrived. It's not a fluke. We're here and we're going to the postseason. Um, the issue now, though, is New England's coming up, Chad, and they just picked off Mahomes twice. And then you have uh, the Chargers with an interim head coach and general manager. You never know how that's going to go. They could get Rich Bisaccia for all we know. It happened to the Broncos a couple years ago. And then in weeks or, you know, I think it's in reverse in week 17 or week 18, right. whatever you have the Raiders and they just put a whooping on the chargers, got the head coach fired and they would want nothing, nothing, nothing more than to spoil the Broncos postseason odds. So it's not impossible, but the road got a little more challenging with that defeat. Mike, the Ronk, So good to see you, big dog. I think everybody could use a little bit of that positive vibe that you always bring to the table. Uh, but yeah, all bets are off. You know, it's uh, all I'm really trying to say is it's still in the wind. All right. For the Broncos, it's still out there in the realm of the possible. But let's be honest about something, Zach. The, 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 this goes to show you because, you know, I don't buy that the Broncos were just totally outmatched talent wise. I don't buy that. This is a team that beat the defending world champs. This is a team that beat the Bills. You're going to tell me the Detroit Lions are, are, more talented than the Bills. And I'm not necessarily there's debates team to team. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not trying to make an absolute argument here on whether the Lions or Bills are the more talented team. But what I'm getting at here, Zach, I mean Vikings, Browns. This was not a, a game where it was decided by the, the most talented team. This was a game that was decided between the years. Uh it was all 
uh, intangible components here from the Broncos coaches obviously being outcoached. What does that mean from a preparation standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, from an adjustment standpoint, from a play calling standpoint? All those things, the Lions emerged the better group. From an execution perspective, obviously, Zach, the Broncos were utterly out-executed. But to me, so much of that comes back to how buttoned down you are, how prepared you are, how focused, how uh, bought in you are, and really how bad you want it. The Lions showed last night that they want the playoffs and their division and all that stuff that's on the table that was on the table for the Broncos, too, more than the Broncos. So I don't look there's there are exceptions here. Yes, the defensive line is woefully short in talent. The Broncos need to upgrade that as soon as they can next offseason. But to me, Zach, this was uh, between the years, spiritual, mental, emotional, however you want to look at it, which means that, you know, you got to if you had the Broncos of that five game winning streak, that mentality, that grit, it all came out in the wash and how they would perform. Where did that go? If you can get that mentality, spiritual juju thing back. Anything remains possible for the Broncos, but if last night was step one of them giving up the ghost, then you know they end, they end up as probably a, a, an eight win team. Rod TV, we'll get him next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, we can debate the talent level. I don't think the Lions are a tenfold better team than the Broncos. I think if they played again, uh, the Broncos could make that a more a competitive game, if not even win the game. But it really showed the areas where Detroit succeeded showed where the Bryant, the Bryans, the Lions are lacking right now, Chad, or the Broncos, excuse me, are lacking. Quarterback, for example, they got what, five touchdowns from Jared Goff, whatever it was. Uh, Jameer Gibbs as a running back is more explosive than anything Denver has on offense. Their offensive line cohesively, they have the five together for the first time in weeks. That it showed you the Broncos O-line has been good this year, but Detroit was on another level and the Broncos just completely regressed from that on defense. Aiden Hutchinson for defense uh, on the Lions defense is better than anyone. The Broncos have in their front seven. They were also running around faster, playing harder, playing with more intensity. They just wanted the game more and it happens, but it's another stark reminder, kind of like after the Houston loss that the, Broncos are not this Super Bowl contender. They're still a few pieces away from really, really, truly competing. And I like what Scott said here. Biggest difference, Dan Campbell is in year three of his program. Sean Payton is in year one. I think there's some truth to that. Is it the biggest difference? I don't know. that. Maybe that's up for debate, but I think Scott is right that that was a factor last night. Rod, thank you for your patience, big dog. This is not the uh, his first time yelling it, so Sean Payton yelling at Russ, and he doesn't care what people think. At the end of the day, I think he wants his own guy. You know, uh, I don't often pay attention to, like, uh, what's his name? Mark Kisla, all right, from the Denver Post, um, because, you know, he's a lot of hot take stuff, and I, I uh, only have so much patience for that, but... He did make an interesting observation, and what I'm about to say, Zach, and I'm going to paraphrase him, isn't me agreeing, but he basically said on Twitter last night, it kind of went on a tirade, did Kislow, 
of the Denver Post, uh, castigating Sean Payton. And he said that that, that uh, dressing down of Russ proved that he doesn't care about his quarterback. And, um, you know, he went on to say a heck of a lot more. It did seem a little bit personal for whatever reason, but I'm digressing here. Did you interpret that, Zach, as either Sean Payton not giving a crap about Russ, not respecting him, etc.? It, it without really knowing the full context of why Sean Payton blew up and he'll never reveal that context. It's Ever. so hard to, to really say for sure. We're just guessing. I mean, I have my views, Chad. I said, maybe he feels kind of sheepish in that moment. Uh, Sean Payton did, and he's kind of taking his frustration out on um, the closest person. I think you hit on something in terms of Sean facing his former mentee in Dan Campbell. That was, I'm sure embarrassing to go to Dan Campbell's house and uh, lose that badly to him. And maybe if it's true, which we don't know, there is some deep-seated resentment from Sean Payton to Russell Wilson because Sean was saddled with Russ. He never got to pick his own guy. And by extension, when Russ has a bad game or the offense looks bad, it makes who look bad? Sean Payton. And what does Sean Payton have? A giant ego that can fill this room. So it's a combination of things, and we all have our opinions on it. I think it's... It's a mixture. It's uh, It was just uh, emotions and a temperamental nature running wild. And look, it's true. Um, Sean Payton doesn't play perfectly nice with the media. And what that means is at the first sign of adversity, out come the knives quick. All right. And there's a lot of things. There's a lot of ways to describe what I mean by Sean Payton not playing nice with the media, but Last night was a case in point of how quickly and easily the knives come out. And I'm not saying that in, on some level, Zach, that the criticism is unjustified. I'm just saying that a lot of what I'm seeing, I think, is a little bit hyperbolic and overboard, jumping the shark just a hair. Now, let's uh, turn the page for a second here to some good news from Michaela Israel. Letting us know, be a super chat. <clears throat> Pardon me. Thank you, Michaela. Cooper is home and doing better. MHH for life, Denver Bronx for life. Uh, those of you who know from things that Michaela has said in the chat over the last week or so, maybe a little bit longer, uh, going through a little something, something with the with the little man, but he's home, he's doing better, and this is good news. Uh, hopefully, Michaela, if if uh, he's if, if Cooper's listening, let him know that he's been in our thoughts and our prayers, and we've been rooting for him, and also let him know that he's got a little something, something coming his way. So, uh, congrats to Coop on getting home, and uh, keep a stiff upper lip. Yeah, that's excellent news, and I wanted to say the same thing. You guys have been in our prayers and our thoughts and will continue to be. Uh, Michaela, God bless you, and God bless Cooper. Yeah, awesome awesome news. Eric, good to see you, big dog. Thank you for jumping in on Facebook. He says, what's up, priests and Broncos country? I can't decide if it's more us having a bad game or just a big gap in talent. Either way, we got our you-know-what's handed to us and now have to win out, which may not be as easy as we think. Yes. May not, um, as Zach illustrated earlier, may not go as easily as it looks at first glance, but may not be enough now. May not be enough now. You could win out, and uh, as it stands, and if your opponent's vying for the one of those uh, wild card spots, if they're you know going up while you're even if you had the one little dip, I mean, and they things get so intense. You know, I was listening to Zach the. Uh, conversation that tom hall had with demarcus Ware last week and Ware said a few really interesting things and one of them is that look 
this time of year is when teams get hot. This time of year is where teams kind of coalesce. And all those sacrifices, all the nicks, the dings, the cuts, uh, the lessons they learned, all the different things, learning about themselves, learning about opponents, all these different things that kind of hones into a very sharp edge. And this is where the wheat separates from the chaff. And last night, unfortunately, Zach, the Broncos signaled that they are among the chaff as opposed to the wheat. And now that there are only three games left to go, yeah, at first glance, it does look like it's a rather forgiving final three opponents. But it comes back to Eric Weber here saying, I'm not sure if it was just a bad game or talent. Look, it was a bad game. The Broncos can beat the Super Bowl champions. They can beat the Detroit Lions. It was what happened between the years. It was whatever the lack of preparation, the lack of taking the opportunity seriously, all that stuff I said earlier, Zach, to me, that's really what the bottom line was. Yeah, it was a bad game. It wasn't the Broncos best for sure, but it also, it could be both true. It exposed the Broncos still glaring weaknesses that seem to come out more in losses and it hasn't gone away. It's been covered up by winning the front seven, the defensive end play from anyone not named Zach Allen, uh, the inside linebacker play, the offensive line. When it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it is bad. When Russell Wilson's on, he's on. When he's off, he is off. And that's what I was going to say to the previous comment about the Broncos winning out and making the playoffs. They can easily win out or they cannot. It, it, we never really know which team is going to show up on any given Sunday. They've been so Jekyll and Hyde every single week. They can beat Kansas City and beat Buffalo. They can also lose to the Commanders and lose to the Jets. We never really know what we're going to get. It's the ultimate box of chocolates, Chad, and I'm kind of tired of opening it up and guessing. That's right. We are dropping Forrest Gump-isms on you <laughs> to help make sense of what the Sam Hill happened last night. I love it. Tom Servo, good to see you. Welcome. Thank you for the super. He says, can Russ outduel the next three quarterbacks? I'd like to hope. Well, that's one of the things here is like this in, in tandem with uh, Joe Anthony just a few moments prior saying this game was on the defense. Um, look, Zach, we've spent a lot of time this off uh, this season defending Russell Wilson, um, kind of defending Sean Payton. And for a stretch there for more than a month, it really felt like uh, that defense was, um, you know, had a good foundation, let's say. But I got to say this, okay? And I, and as you guys know, I said coming out of the week five uh, loss to the Jets that I was officially off the rush train. Didn't mean that I'm not supportive of him. Didn't mean that I don't think he's a solid quarterback and all that, but by being off the rust train, meaning no longer do I believe he's the answer, short or even mini long-term. Bottom line here, Zach, is yes, that defense uh, looked shockingly similar to the unit that just laid down to the Miami Dolphins. And what made this one even maybe a little bit worse in some ways, don't get me wrong here, in some ways was the fact that absent from that beatdown in Miami were team leaders and communication czars Justin Simmons and Josie Jewell, both those guys, uh, Jewell got hurt in that game. Justin Simmons was out. Jewell got hurt early in that game for what it's worth. And it looked ugly. It looked so similar. I was like, what the heck? But still, Zach, I'm sorry. You cannot go into halftime as an offense with a goose egg on the board. Mm -hmm. And this, this unit, and I think this could explain at least in part uh, why Sean Payton's frustrations were boiling over because he knows that. He knows that despite what his best efforts, and don't think for a second that he hasn't been giving his best efforts, Sean Payton, 
the offense is still just failing to launch. It don't get me wrong, it's had its moments, right? Especially over that five-game win streak. Found a way to to just do enough in critical situations to complement the defense's ridiculous streak of takeaways and get the win. But at what point this season, Zach, have has this offense truly taken flight in a way where, you know, like I've I've done a lot. I've talked a lot this football season of, hey, let's not try to compare what this is to like, you know, in our mind's eye, the most recent example we have a success in the Peyton Manning era, right? Which is far in the rear view, but it's still the last period we had of, of success. Don't compare those things, but think about this, Zach, and I have said that, but you, everyone remembers those Peyton Manning years and those games where you'd get halfway through the second quarter and you could mail it in. You knew this was in the bag. Right. Multiple touchdowns already. The opponent grasping at straws already just throwing, throwing, throwing. Von Miller and Demarcus Ware just feasting like, you know, a smorgasbord. At what point since Russell Wilson has been a Bronco? And I'm not trying to pile on the guy, but I'm just throwing this out there. Yeah, the defense looked bad. I'm trying to balance this thing. At what point have you ever felt that from this team, second quarter, even third quarter, uh, we got this one well in hand with Russell Wilson. The offense continues to fail to launch. Very, very well said. Yeah, I mean, focusing on the offense, when you think of the Bears, that they went into the halftime against the Lions with 10 points. The Packers put up 23 by the half against the same Lions defense. There was no excuse for the Broncos to come out as slow as they did. Usually they're bad in the third quarter and going into the fourth. This time they started too slow. I'm not going to place blame on one, make it a black and white issue. It was very, very gray in the sense that it was a collective team failure from the coaches to the offense, to the defense, everyone involved had a hand in this defeat. The defense was just as culpable, missing tackles and letting Jared Goff of all quarterbacks slice and dice them up. They had no answer, Chad, and they had no counterattack for what Detroit offered. They were thoroughly outcoached and outclassed. Doug, so good to see you, brother. Thank you for the star support on Facebook. Really, really appreciate it. We've got Phil down in Tucson. Love you, dude. Such a critical key member of our community and proving the Broncos country is not a geographic location. It's a state of being, baby. Phil, love you, big dog. We do uh, have some tweaks that we have to make to the Facebook jersey giveaway thing. We'll talk about that at another time later this week, maybe tomorrow. Monday, it feels like tomorrow should be Tuesday, right? Because the Broncos played yesterday. But we will uh, we will be back on tomorrow night. We'll talk about it. But Phil says, I got to say, I thought Russ was fighting right till the end. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I missed Nick Benito. Hashtag Buckham, go Broncos, MHH for life. And went out. Yeah, that and that's one thing, Zach, I'll give Russ unequivocally is never do I have I ever gotten the feeling, even – in the deep, dark depths of certain moments since he's become a Bronco, that he is mailing it in himself or, you know, short-arming it, so to speak. He does battle. He does fight. It's quite clear through his play how much he cares and how important this whole thing is to him. But I'm just going, man, for crying out loud, you get – I mean, who was it? Hall of Famer Dick Vermeil, two best offensive minds of this generation coaching. Andy Reid and Sean Payton. You're telling me you can't find a way to make some hay with Sean Payton. Now, there's a there's there's a way to pick an argument in that. You can look at Russell Wilson's statistics, right? You can look at his uh, touchdown to uh, in, interception ratio and all that stuff, 
And yes, he's having a solid season by way of general efficiency, Zach. I mean, so far through 13 games, he does have 24 touchdowns, which is easily by a mile, six more, in fact, than the highest previous post-Super Bowl 50 single-season passing touchdown mark of any Broncos quarterback. So you can see that the impact of Sean Payton has been a net positive on Russell Wilson, oh, yeah. and yet it's still not enough. It's it's a net positive when the game is is perfectly manicured in, in Russ's and the offense's favor, and when it goes off the rails, um, you saw what happens. Ken NHB, so good to see you, my friend. He says, I just think they need to move on from Russ. They have to bite the bullet before that March deadline. Do we think Russ will be better next year? No. Russ will be a year older. Hashtag MHH for life. Well, it's just not that easy of a decision. You know, Ken, there, there might be a lot more thought that I'd put into this if the Broncos weren't staring down the barrel of like 80-plus million dead on the cap if they move on from Russ, even before that deadline even before that deadline. So it's not just an easy like, oh, yeah, they're going to eat $5 million. Or, Zach, they're going to eat $10 million. No, 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 no. You're going to eat almost $100 million you move on from Russ. So I get what you're saying. Um, but let me, let, me, let me take his – well, first of all, I'll use his question and tweak it slightly and let you answer this, Zach. He says, does Ken, do we think Russ will be better next year? Let me ask, let me put it to you this way. Under what circumstances could Russell Wilson be better next year? In other words, what would it take? What changes, what additions, what whatever for Russell Wilson to be better than what we've seen so far? They, uh, they've done a pretty good job improving his supporting cast. You gave him Marvin Mims at receiver. You kept Sutton and, and Jerry Judy. Um, you rebuilt the offensive line. You have a great ground game. I would say maybe a game-breaking tight end would help Russell Wilson out. Another year in Sean Payton's system will help Russell Wilson out. But the biggest uh, asset that Russell Wilson can give himself is just navigating the pocket better. And I don't know, though, Chad, at this stage of his career, he'll be 36 at – you know, this time next season, is he ever going to shake that uh, quality about him? And I do not know. The The other thing is when the O-line breaks down, I mentioned, you know, when they're good, they've been good this year. When they're bad, they are really bad. And when they're bad, Russ has nowhere to go but side to side. Even if he wanted to yesterday against the Lions, he couldn't step up in the pocket. So my answer is always the same. It seems like it all falls apart. The quarterbacking is a result of the offensive line and vice versa. And not, none of it, none of the equation was good yesterday. And you saw the collective mess from that. So better is subjective. Ken, everyone kind of rates Russ on their own sliding scale. I don't think he'll be worse, but there are things that he can do for himself and that the team can do to maybe make it a more um, profitable situation. Indeed. I'd like to spend a little bit more time on that, but let's catch up first on some supers, including from the chaos man himself and my brother in punk rock. Look at him rocking his, uh, you can see this, Zach. He's rocking his studded uh, punk rocker oi cut, right? Like a, yeah. like a biker cut. And donning him, crowning him, let's say, is a vintage Huddle Up podcast cap, dude, like a baller. This is the primo combination that you're rocking here. And you're signaling a lot as far as your allegiance and character, quality of character. Much love, Josh. He says, relevant Broncos football is greater than the last seven years. In other words, you know, using the symbol there, 10 and 7 is what he's predicting. 
So he's saying they're going to win it out. But it is nice, as disappointing as last night was, Zach, and if the Broncos, this will be cold comfort, if the Broncos miss the playoffs uh, after they gave themselves a, a chance. It is nice that it's even a relevant conversation with three weeks left to go in the season. It is. I'm glad we're not talking about, I mean, a few days ago, a year ago, a few days ago, the Broncos were officially eliminated from the playoffs under Nathaniel Hackett. So in that sense, it's been a nice step up talking playoff football, but God, it would be to me. And I just fight my urge to not give off the loser mentality of just settling for talking about the postseason. I still think the Broncos, if they win out, they can get in. And I think we should focus on them doing their best to push for it. Naj with super chat number two, being very, very generous and supportive. We love you, big dog. Thank you very much. Helping us keep the lights on, Naj. He says, well, I don't see a better option than Russ out there for next year. Recognizing Peyton's style, if we lose out or struggle over the next three weeks, I could see Vance Joseph fired, Russ gone, etc. I hope he's, <laughs> pardon me, measured. Time will tell. I don't know, man. I don't think uh, – I mean, if if the defense ends up playing like it did last night the rest of the season, then Vance Joseph being fired would definitely be on the table. But that, straight, that run they went on, dude, of not only the win streak, but 17 takeaways in – was it six games when you factor in the Chargers game? So, yeah, 17 takeaways over six games. I mean, the 15 over four was unprecedented, literally. I mean, think about that. And to go from that, Zach – after giving up historically bad yardage and points. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's a, still a chance that could happen, depending on what the football gods have in store for the Broncos. But I guess there's also the argument, too, Zach, that if your defense is that up and down, right? Like, it, it's such extreme polar opposite ends of the spectrum, then maybe it does require a better or different coordinator. It's a production-based business, and though they've had good stretches in the middle, what's sandwiched those stretches have been a 70-point game they've allowed and a 40-point game they've allowed on defense. And it's funny, you know, the last comment, I misread it at first. Instead of, uh, it said, will Russ be better next year? I thought it said, will Russ be back next year? And my question, my answer to that question is always the same. This will be the prime audition, the next three games for Russell Wilson in terms of what Denver does, how they proceed with their future, how aggressively they pursue a quarterback next offseason. And the same applies for Vance Joseph. Um, I don't know that the winning streak bought him 2024. I don't think he earned that because 70 doesn't just go away. We don't just forget about that. So how they respond and how the defense plays next week against the Patriots, I think will be uh, a determining factor whether he'll be back next season. Sean Payton said at the podium last night, he said, look, I told the guys, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, look, I told them, you know, you were going to experience games like this every once in a while, but we got to shake it off quick. So to that point you just made, Zach, if this defense can shake that off and, and get back on the horse, then things become possible again. And yes, thank you, KB. We've been discussing this uh, behind the scenes here. Brandon McManus, don't look now, but he has missed back-to-back -back field goals in a critical game for the Jags. Now, look, the Jags still sit atop the AFC South at 8-5, and five, but they're going against a Baltimore Ravens opponent, which isn't easy, right? Meanwhile, the Texans just keep winning. Texans are 8-6, and six, and the Colts are 8-6. and six. Like, this division, if they lose this game, the Jaguars, Zach, the AFC South 
becomes a flip the coin. And uh, th it's these critical moments where your kicker making millions of dollars is expected to pull his weight. They should be up six to three right now instead of still scoreless to the Ravens. Yeah, the Titans choked that game away. They should have beat the Texans, and uh, you can argue the the Browns should have lost to the Bears, but that's why the games are played. The Broncos have to worry about their own thing, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, but, you know, on the subject of things that you can do um, to kind of grease the rails for Russ to be better next year, First of all, on the subject of everyone questioning now, does Sean Payton actually like Russ? I mean, as far as it being his quarterback, I think there's a lot of inform there's a lot of uh, context now that points toward him being perhaps unsold on it, on the fence, maybe even like, no, this is not my ideal guy. We'll find out maybe a little bit more how true that is, Zach when the Broncos decide to do whatever it is they decide to do at that deadline. Um, it's going to be heavily weighted, though, by the by the dead cap downside of moving on from Russell Wilson. So it won't necessarily, Zach, be a perfect litmus test to prove how Sean Payton feels about Russ. But if they do decide, and I'm telling you, dollars and cents often are what rules uh, the roost in the NFL – and if they decide we're going to go ahead and, and move forward at least one more year, you're basically locked in two more years with Russ financially if you do keep him. Uh, then what can you do to improve Russell Wilson next year? And I think, obviously, you swung and missed on a right tackle. There's hope that McGlinchey's just having a bad year and, you know, it's a new environment, whatever. I think he's generally probably a better player than what he showed us so far as far as consistency. But you can improve the – the O-line play somewhat, you can get better running backs, all right? Like, I like Javante Williams, but he really is a one-trick pony, dude. He's a one-trick power back, and that's about it. He doesn't bring that dynamic – I mean, it's dynamic when he starts trucking guys, right? But he really does have to get a solid head of steam, Zach, for for those, uh, you know, move, get-out-the-way plays to start happening – and how often does is he given holes up front by this O-line to where he can get ahead of steam? Uh, they made a point last night of did the broadcast, Zach, that the offensive line has started every game. Every guy on that O-line hasn't has missed zero starts so far, and that's commendable. But I still think that either a couple of tweaks or, you know, bringing back Lloyd, uh, Quinn Miners is back no matter what, keeping that unit together. It continues to coalesce and, co you know, come together and it's a better unit next year. But I think uh, somehow, some way you got to get some better running back talent and maybe one more wide receiver. And like you said, either Dulcich comes back or you no matter what, even if Dulcich does come back. And if you're the Broncos and you fully believe Dulcich is going to be back next year, you got to go get a hedge just in case a guy who can run, a guy who can catch a guy who's got a little bit of proven uh, by way of his resume in that department. So there are things you could do to help Russ be better next year, but he is, I think, proven up to this point, Zach, and then I'm serving it over, that he does have his limitations. 
I'm willing to give Javante a break because none of us thought he'd be playing after that knee injury last season. He he does look a little off, but it's they you you saw yesterday what Detroit brings to the table with their running backs, the thunder and lightning, true thunder and lightning. Montgomery is better than Javante Williams, and Jameer Gibbs is better than anything the Broncos have in terms of that speed back. They need more speed, more explosion in the backfield. I totally agree with that. The long-term outlook on Russ, again, the next three games will, I think, determine a lot of that. I can absolutely see a scenario where they bring him back. I can also see a scenario where he becomes the Alex Smith to maybe the next, not the next Patrick Mahomes, but a younger quarterback that's in the pipeline learning under him and the Broncos are getting ready to take over in the not-so-distant future. Regardless of how the next three shake out, Chad, they have to, and we've been saying this through good times and bad, Think about 2024 and beyond when it comes to the quarterback position. That's a good point, dude. That's a an excellent point. Another option on the table, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and steal this from uh, Mr. Producer. Relative to Russell Wilson, is you know very rarely do players accept a pay cut, and especially when it comes to quarterbacks, you know they don't give money back. They don't. They're usually not that keen on restructuring. But the Broncos might say use some level of, you know, uh, extortion to tell Russell Wilson, look, unless you restructure, we're cutting you. And then you're out at sea afloat in the NFL. There's a new book out on Russ. You know, this is, this isn't, wouldn't be the same as you hitting the, the market, you know, coming out of the 2021 season. Now there's two years of ignominy on your resume. The blooms off the rose. Why don't you just accept a restructure? Give us the freedom to give you help right? Let's build things up around you because as it stands, your contract is an albatross around our neck. And especially, I'm sorry, I wish it was, I could tell you different, but Russ, alas, your contract is not on a level commensurate with your play. Um, yeah. And it, it really is. It's the only leverage they have on Russ. And it might be, it might be uh, a, a little bit shallow to begin with because Russ might just say, okay, cool, cut me, peace. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a wet blanket, but the Broncos still have three games left, Chad, and they could still make a, you know, they could still make the playoffs if things break their way. So we're going to have plenty of time in the offseason to talk about Russell Wilson in the future. For now, it's on to New England. Uh, Phil says, what happened to Williams? He seems, he just seems gone and P. Ryan took over. Um, well, I just think that, first of all, like like Zach said, I don't want to make light of this. I mean, the, the magnitude of what he's had to overcome. I mean, he tore the knee injury he suffered last year. Basically, every ligament in his knee thrashed. Ends your career if it happened 15 years prior. Uh, I mean, how long did it take Cortland Sutton to even begin to reach a like a modicum of the level he was at in 2019? Now. Uh, before he's ex I mean, exactly. It took him almost the better part of three years. And so Williams is in year one recovery of a grievous, grievous injury. So there is that, Zach, as far as background here, let's let's call a spade a spade and acknowledge the ridiculous obstacle he's had to overcome. But it has robbed him of some things. I'm telling you right now, some of that twitch, some of that pop, some of that explosion. And honestly, I don't think he really ever was the most explosive when we talk about making his cut and then the gear. You know, you just, I mean, you use Jameer, uh, Jameer Gibbs as an example. That's an explosive back. 
right? He brings a size-speed ratio that is just dangerous. And Williams, that's never really been his bag. His bag has been power run, C-gap, hit-gap, and truck dudes. And he can actually catch the ball. Is he a great receiver? I think he's proven that he's competent, but not a great receiver out of the backfield. And that's the book on him. Very smart, um, very motivated and driven individual, but lacks some of the dynamic all-around aspects to his game. So that's why I come back to the same idea, Zach, that um, – and P. Ryan, I'm sorry, he runs so high. Every time he carries the ball, even when he's doing great things, I'm just waiting for him to get stripped. And it's happened yeah. a few times this year. But the Broncos just – that's another reason why you go to Russ about the idea of a restructure because, Russ, we want to get you help. You know, you're going to be entering your age 36 season. And remember, it used to be that uh, John Elway held that title for a long time, the oldest quarterback to win a Super Bowl, 36, when he won Super Bowl 32. Then Peyton Manning took it, uh, and then Tom Brady eventually took that from, just like all things, Tom Brady eventually took that from Peyton as well. But Peyton still has the the single season thing for him, you know, going for him. But I digress here a little. John Elway, in his age 36 season, one of the things he did and this is something I'm, I'm going to the history books and I'm making myself an expert at this subject here, Zach, if I'm George Payton, he took less money and restructured so the Broncos could put pieces around him to compete. Neil Smith is obviously the most famous example of one, of one of the assets they were able to bring in as a result of John giving him some wiggle room. And it didn't initially, Zach, pay huge dividends. They were they made the playoffs, 96, uh, pardon me, 97, uh, but they were a wild card team and they became a wild card team that went the distance. They battled tooth and nail and got it done. But I'm showing Russ that that's what we need to duplicate that history here in Denver. If you want to be able to win world championships, like John Elway did at 30, uh, 36 and 37 and Peyton Manning did at 38 or 39. I forget if he was 38 or 39. That's what you got to do. And even Peyton did it. Peyton Manning, his final year, John Elway goes to him and says, look, Peyton, you're set to make $19 million this year. We're going to pay you. We want to pay you 15. However, because we're going to, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul over here and add this guy, add that guy. Darian Stewart was one of the ways that they exploited Peyton saying, okay. So he took a $4 million pay cut, but the Broncos did add incentives in his contract that basically if you want, if you win it all, you get it all back. And he did. That's Peyton Manning for you. You laid out Russ, uh, the situation really, really well. Uh, my opinion on Javante going back to that for a second, the, the uncomfortable truth about Javante is that he's a dying breed. And I don't mean that in necessarily a complimentary way. If you put Javante Williams in the NFL in the 2000s or the early 2010s, the dude would be a perennial pro bowler, all pro. But as a power runner in today's NFL, there's just not much utility. And Detroit showed that really well. It wasn't Montgomery, Chad, that was the breakout runner. It was Jameer Gibbs, the speedy guy, the explosive guy. I'm a big McLaughlin fan, but he doesn't really compare pound for pound with Jameer Gibbs. And if you have a aging quarterback who is a game manager or at least dwindling athletically, then you're going to need an explosive element to the offense. And who do the Broncos really have to fill that Gibbs role? They've tried getting Marvin Mims involved. That hasn't worked. They tried getting Jaleel McLaughlin involved. That hasn't worked. They tried with Judy. That hasn't worked. Their only spark is a six foot four possession receiver in Cortland Sutton. They need more dynam, dynam, Dynamism. 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 
close enough. They need more of that on offense next season. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I'll get um, that word one day. Guys, uh, we are about out of time here. Ronk, thank you, bro. Appreciate you, Mike. Seriously, thanks for all that you do, big dog. Um, it's been a really fun conversation, and uh, we appreciate each and every one of you being here with us. I just want to take real quick here, Zach, before we're officially out of time, and just take a quick look here at some of – if there's any specific topics here we may have missed. I mean, Naj, you nailed it. I think Russ wants to finish his career in Denver, and if we can get this contract down by around $10 million per year, that would be ideal. Exactly. And, and Russ being the type of guy he is, like honestly – I could see him at least being open to it, at least being willing to listen. And if you present it right, fill his head with the the visions of grandeur and, and triumph, like with names like Elway and Manning and Brady, um, maybe you maybe you get that done. And listen, if he's not open to it because the Broncos can't convince him, they can't make him restructure, then you have to have a long talk with yourself if you're Greg Penner, if you're Rob Walton, if you're Sean Payton, about just biting the bullet and moving on. I mean, the most cap flush owners in terms of you know liquid cash in the NFL, it would suck for one year, but at some point they have to think beyond Russ and start getting a younger quarterback involved in those future plans. Russ is the very very uh, short-term future guy, if that. They need their long-term plan. Guys, this has been a blast. We will be back, of course, tomorrow night for uh, because it is Monday. It's not Tuesday tomorrow. It will be Monday, so we look forward to seeing you guys. Uh, but we got a few messages before we dip out. Another tremendous installment of the Mile High Huddle podcast. If you're not doing so, please follow us on X at the MHH pod. You can follow the main account at Mile High Huddle, Chad at Chad and Jensen, myself at Kelberman NFL, and Scott, our producer at Scout Kennedy. If you guys want some merch like we're rocking each and every single freaking podcast, check out MHHmerch.com and get you some. If you haven't, drop us a like at Facebook.com slash Mile High Huddle Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Mile underscore High underscore Huddle. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you're leaving your football priest a five-star review for a chance to win some of that merch each and every single month. But if anything, y'all, please Subscribe, like, and share this video and every video you see on the MHH channel. It really helps us grow and reach more Broncos fans just like you. That it does. A shout out to our great Super Chat superstars and supporters tonight, helping us keep the lights on here at MHH. The Papa Bear, David McElrath, Miguel, Patriot Tex, Naj, The Ronk. We got Rod TV checking in. It was good to see you tonight, brother. Michaela Israel and the Little Man Cooper. Eric Weber, Tom Servo, Phil McLaughlin, Doug Raquel, Kenan HB, Oi Boy, and Kenny, KB82. Much love and respect, guys. Keep your chin up. Still plenty of football left to be played. Don't forget you got Broncos for breakfast on the bright, and then Zach and I will see you again this same time tomorrow night. See you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Take care, and as always, go Broncos. Head on over to milehighhuddle.com for all things Broncos.